Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me. Today, we are in Yeshua, Son of David, exploring Matthew's Gospel study, and we're going to be looking at Lesson 49, The Generational God. I'm calling this the generational God. Matthew continues to show Jesus in all his glory and splendor, including in relation to the family relationships and God's original design. As he continues to fulfill his ministry, Jesus teaches of God's design and best for the family on the heels of his earlier discussion of healing and forgiveness in an earlier chapter, showing us the true-to-life picture of our generational God. So as we continue reading through Matthew, let's read today in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to read the first 15 verses of Matthew 19. And beginning in verse 1, it says this, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So now as Jesus is moving forward to reach more people while he's still on the earth and has the time remaining, we discover his correction of their traditions and his convictions of God's original word in its purest form. The Pharisees, etc., they were always trying to trap him up and twist his words. Usually, most of these attacks were based upon their traditions and interpretations 
of the original text of Scripture. So in this matter, they're still trying to bring up a question to trip him up. In this case, the question is regarding divorce and marriage. The answer is the true intent originally for God's intent for marriage and covenant. The key point is the creator and the creator's goal. He made them male and female, and he made them so, so that there would be a relationship of one man for one woman for life. That was God's original intent way back to the book of Genesis, and Jesus takes them all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The two were to become one flesh. That word about one flesh, becoming one flesh, is talking about ekhad. It is meaning a united one. It's taking the two and making them as one whole unit. It's very interesting that that word is also used of God himself in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, the beloved Shema that Jewish men quote all the time. Jewish families love and know the Shema very, very well. And that word is used in there to speak of God. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that is a united one. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit of God, Echad, a united one. It's the same as when the Lord made them and the two were to become one flesh. So Jesus' point here is that God joins people together in marriage. Don't separate them. Divorce was never God's intent. Original marriage and the covenant of marriage relationship of one man for one woman for life was God's original intent. And Jesus says what God has joined together, do not separate. It's stressing the importance of marriage. So the Jewish leaders come back with this question. Well, if God's original intent was such and such, then why is there this provision for divorce? Why did Moses say we can divorce her? And Jesus' answer is, it was for the hardness of your heart. It was your own unforgiveness, your unwillingness to accept God's original design. And so Moses wrote in the law that there was an allowance for that, but Jesus is stressing very plainly here, this is not God's preference, nor is it God's desire. Jesus clarifies the legitimate reasons for divorce, and it is all based upon infidelity or unfaithfulness in marriage, adultery, promiscuity. Why would that be the case? Because unfaithfulness is sin. God is a faithful God. And unfaithfulness is not like him. It's not pleasing to him. It's not pleasing to God. It is not of God. It is not like God. And he has called us as his children, as his own representation of himself, as his people, to be pleasing to him, to exhibit him in every way and in every area of our life. And unfaithfulness does not represent God. Any form of infidelity, any form of lack of truth and fidelity and faithfulness is not representing God. The Lord even expressed to one of his prophets, 
his desire and why he hates divorce. And it's found in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, and I want to begin reading in verse 11, and I want to read through verse 16. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Why won't God accept us? That's what they're saying here. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So Jesus here in Matthew chapter 19 is connecting with Malachi 2 in expressing God's original design and God's view of divorcement and unfaithfulness in marriage and why God hates it. He hates it because it brings violence. It brings treachery. It brings betrayal. It brings hurt. It brings brokenness. It is not God's original design. And the Lord here, even in Malachi, is warning them ahead of time. This was written 400 and something years prior to Jesus coming on the scene and teaching these things in Matthew chapter 19. And even that far back, Malachi is saying God hates divorce because it's not like him. It has nothing to do with him. And he is warning there. He says, take heed to your spirit. Don't allow unforgiveness and bitterness and hardness of heart to enter in to your covenant that you've made before the Almighty God. So note, Jesus is saying, from the beginning it was not so. This is the point. This is the point that God is making here through the Lord himself. God desires faithfulness. He desires that we keep our promises, and marriage is a covenant promise. So the disciples then say, well, if that's the case, then celibacy is best. In other words, not having a wife, not having a husband, just serving the Lord all of your life, alone, single. Jesus answers them and he says, celibacy, this serving of the Lord by yourself without a mate, is not for everyone. Some can do that and some cannot. So some are born in that way, some are made that way, such as Daniel and his three friends were made eunuchs in the, in the days that they were eunuchs, and some choose to set themselves apart to the Lord, whether they're physically eunuchs or not, they set themselves apart as if they were, and they say, I'm going to serve the Lord. 
But Jesus, the only point he's making here is that that is a gift given to some and they can receive it. But there are others who cannot. And that's fine because marriage is an institution from the original beginning that God has foreordained. So he's teaching them the principles of marriage, the reason God hates divorce, and how we are to serve the Lord in whatever state God has called us to be in, whether married or single. The complement of the family relationship is children. They were sending the children. They wanted the children to be blessed of the Lord in Matthew chapter 19. And the disciples were trying to keep them back. And Jesus, we just went through in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus dealt with children and having to have the faith of a little child and come like a little child. And so Jesus here again reiterates that. And he says, no, you let them come. I want the children to come. Why? Because God is a generational God. I want us to read a few passages about that from the book of Psalms. Psalms speaks of it in several places. I'm just choosing a few. In Psalm 48, verse 13, it says this, Mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, talking about Jerusalem, that you may tell it to the generation following. In Psalm chapter 71, and verse 18, it says this, Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Psalm 78. I want to read verses 1 through 8 of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people. This is from Asaph. This is a psalm of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. That's prophetic of Messiah here, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is God's intent. He is a generational God. In Psalm 102 and verse 18, This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And then in Psalm 145, it says this, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Do you see, beloved friend, Jesus is expressing how God is a generational God. The Lord is making clear here how God feels about the marriage and family relationship and why. He clears up and establishes God's original intent, how it's been taken wrong, 
and how to set it aright again. The Lord originated the family, and from His Word, we see why it's so important. God desires that all generations know Him from one to the next. Passing on the faith in your own family is extremely important and may very well be your first and ultimate priority above all else. I want us to close by reading the beloved Shema of Israel from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, which includes the great Jewish Shema. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is Echad, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." So in here, in this beloved Shema and beyond, in these verses, we see the importance of knowing and loving the Lord our God, who is one, who is a God, the Lord who is one, and the importance of passing on the faith to our own children and our grandchildren. Right here it's expressed. So, beloved friend, I leave you with this. Treasure your family and teach them of Him. Invest all you can into your family. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So invest everything you can of the Lord into your family and trust Him that as you obey Him, He will bless you and He will save them. Let's work to bring all of our family to Him and look forward to eternity together with our generational God that we serve and that we love. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future messages brought to you through Covenant Truth Ministries. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.